All right, so good to see you all. This is the Wednesday Sangha. Uh, if anyone would like to join this, the link is in the description, as always. Uh, it's on YouTube. I just started the recording here. Um, there was some talk about um, Watts and visiting Watts. Uh, Matt had just visited a Watt, uh, talking about it in the Sangha US Skype, the text area. Um, and I also, um, uh, I was on a business trip this past month and then I came home with COVID. But before that, um, uh, I had visited a Watt uh, nearby, maybe 20, 30 minute drive. And I had a very good experience. So I thought it'd be a good time to start recording uh, and share the positive experience. Um, so the story is that I drove the 30 minutes or so in the morning. Uh, Dom Rado suggested morning would be the best time to visit the Watt uh, because that is when um, before 10, uh, 10 was when they started their, <laughs> I guess in tr Christian language, maybe prayer service or chanting or um, offering of the food to the monks um, that there were maybe five, six or seven lay people that brought a whole big lunch to the monks um, and then they do chanting uh, uh, and then the monks eat the lunch. Um, so I had come maybe an hour before that and one of the ladies just told me to sit down and so I just sat down and chilled for maybe 45 minutes watching them prepare lunch. I wasn't, I didn't really know what was going on but I thought I'd just take it all in. Um, it, it was a very casual thing uh, like there, um, I had the thought beforehand, maybe they'd be a little put off by a Westerner, but they were super welcoming. Uh, and it was more of a, you can do whatever you want. She said, sit down. Or she said, you can go check the place out, look around if you like. Um, and it's sort of a public place. It's not like rooms are protected and uh, siphoned off. Um, so I waited 45 minutes, uh, sat with the chanting. They were very nice. They gave me a chanting book. Uh, and I went along with whatever rituals they had. Uh, it was, I think, maybe 20, 30 minutes. It might have even been shorter than that, just chanting Pali. Uh, some of them were familiar. Um, not enough where I was able to recite them uh, or anything or keep up. But uh, I was just following along. They had an English chanting book, and they also had a Thai one. They gave me an English one. Um, and then afterwards, there was the bowing to the monks, and then there were pictures on the wall. Um, I recognized some of the pictures of the monks. Uh, Ajahn Mahaboa, uh, Mahaboa uh, and then Ajahn Cha were on the wall. Um, and then afterwards, I thought uh, that was it, um, and I would drive away and go. But uh, I went around the side of the building, and then they invited me to lunch. Uh, and... Um, so after the monks eat, they had a ton of food, so the people eat as well. Uh, and in the lunch area, um, there were maybe eight people. Uh, uh, most of them were Thai, primarily speaking. Some of them spoke, uh, one one person spoke uh, pretty fluent English, uh, enough to be able to translate um, but if, if no one spoke English, I think I would have gotten around just fine with the smile and being nice. Um, it seems like they were fine working with that. Uh, and they were very generous, very friendly. Um, so I ate lunch there. And, and then they uh, 
continued to offer me lunch, gave me lunch to take home because they had so much leftovers. Uh, they were trying to find something to do with them. Uh, but they were very welcoming. Uh, they asked a little bit about me, gave them uh, just small just small talk. And then they said, if you ever want to come back, uh, even daily, you can come back. We do this every day uh, in the morning. We have lunch. Um, so uh, I was very, um, that before the experience, uh, I was a little hesitant. I wasn't quite sure, but this was very reaffirming in what Dom Rado has talked about with the Watt life being very welcoming. And same with Eric, uh, what he's talked about with it being very welcoming. Uh, and it sounds like Matt had a similar uh, positive experience at the Watt from his uh, sharing in the Sangha in the text chat. Awesome. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. Yeah, I'll definitely have to go find a local lot and give them a visit. Sounds like a fun time. Yeah, the best way to do it, I think, is to, on Google Maps, they have a section, uh, Buddhist temple, um, like sort of a category, just like they would have restaurants or dentist, whatever it is, um, that you can search uh, just Buddhist temple near me. And then what will pop up is some uh, Zen, some Theravada, some whatever, but the ones in the, uh, it would probably be Lao, uh, Thai, uh, Sri Lanka. Um, I th uh, from what I've heard from Damrata, those are the most likely to have nobles. Um, and uh, less Westerners, more people from their country, uh, home country who've been trained in their home country, uh, learning the Dhamma there, and then being chosen essentially by the uh, lay people in that country when they're moving over. They want to have a monk come with them and have sort of a community center. Um, and that's really what it was at its core. It wasn't really a lot of people meditating. Um, it was more a community center of people taking their rituals that they probably practiced back home in Thailand and bring them here to the U.S. to have that same uh, relig religious rituals. Um, but that does not mean that the monks aren't wise, that the monks aren't noble. Um, the reason there isn't much contact with them is just the language barrier, that uh, the one monk, Ajahn B., um, he had been for maybe 10 years, but his his English skills still weren't enough, let alone being able to set up some kind of website and reach out to Westerners and set up a meditation class for people speaking English. That's just a bit far away. Um, and the other monk was his younger brother, uh, Ajahn, not Ajahn, but uh, he told me to call him Tuxin, um, that he had just come over maybe a month or two ago and he had no uh, English skills at all. Um, his very little uh, trumped my Thai skills, but still very little. Um, so we were communicating using Google Translate. Uh, but um, yeah, just understanding that that's why they don't connect, but they're more than willing to be friends and be happy if they have someone there. And that um, Dom Rano talks about it, but I think it is reasonable to be the case that uh, that could be the position eventually of the Westerners an open Sangha foundation. Once the connection is <laughs> made, 
there are these wise, friendly people in these Watts and the connection can be made, whatever it is, uh, creating websites or helping them create websites or something to get the publicity out about the Watts in the local area. Um, Domrado talks about teaching meditation classes once a Westerner's set up there, makes friends with everyone, um, that eventually they might be prompted to teach meditation classes to Westerners. Um, but yes, where I got started was how to find a watch that, uh, just search Google for Buddhist temples near me, and there'll be different locations where it's already set up uh, under the Buddhist temple category. Is the um, is this the searching script on the on the Open Sangha Foundation from Google? Is is this just implemented or? Uh, yes, there was one map that was set up by I think Beth Upton for the first round of things with the Open Sangha Collective. And from what it looked like, that was just all the data from Google Maps scraped uh -huh. and put into a different app. Okay. Uh, but uh, there is more information if you just search on Google Maps because there are reviews, uh -huh. um, there are more pictures. Uh, there might be the same amount of pictures, I'm not sure. But there's also, some of them have Facebook pages. The one I went to visit um, first, um, it's the only one I've been to so far. Uh, had a bunch, had a Facebook page and a bunch of pictures. That's why I visited that one first. But I'm sure there's a similar environment with all of them. Hey, uh, Robert, where'd you go? Can't see you anymore. You there, Robert? Yoo-hoo. Hey, sorry about that. Man, I didn't know I was muted as well. Um, no, I've just had my eyes closed, just sort of chilling out, vibing out a little oh, okay. bit. This is this is more or less what it looks like, just my ceiling, basically. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Enjoying the sangha. That um, now that we've been uh, using the word noble a lot, uh, I'm interested to hear <laughs> what do you guys consider a noble? Um, um, probably ethical action. I would say is the biggest one. Is you know, do they do they sort of, do they acts like really ethically and they've got a friendly attitude you know do they act like a happy person i'd say that's probably the biggest biggest thing i'd use to tell someone's noble i think the definition that that's usually referring to uh is um being on the noble path like uh there's the distinction between the ordinary person there's some poly word for it i think it's p and then there are some j's in there um and then the sotapanna um, someone who's actually seen the Dhamma uh, and actually understood it. Before then, it was just a bunch of rules that uh, maybe concepts in their mind, but actually understanding what the practice, um, what the teaching is um, of Dukkha, Dukkha Naroda, not just understanding the words of it, but having a glimpse of it. And of course, the rest of the path is sort of incorporating that glimpse of the Four Noble Truths and I'm incorporating it into one's way of thinking uh, and one's uh, life and whatever it may be uh, that we talk about. But the noble would be a one who understands that there is something here. What is this actual teaching? What is Dukkha, Dukkha Naroda? Uh, beyond the from... religious rituals and all of that. Yeah, go ahead. You, you can go from uh, Sila Samadhi Panya or from Panya Samadhi Sila, right? Uh-huh. If you only have conduct, 
it maybe looks fine and looks friendly and looks happy, but looks is secondary. Yes, <laughs> in terms of Scott's, your, your original question was, how do we tell if someone's noble, right? Um, that's, that would be the only way we can really tell um, is by behavior. Uh, that assuming the intentions behind the behavior is how one would tell, but you couldn't, you can't really know for sure. Uh, Unless you're uh, noble yourself. Since you can't, you can't know uh, the mind of another. Um, yes, knowing the qualities yourself and knowing Duca Duca Naroda yourself will help with that. Um, and I'm sure if someone's happy, smiling, and carefree, uh, that's a pretty good sign that uh, they are um, knowledgeable of the teachings. Um, in addition to that, uh, Damrado sometimes talks about uh, how someone can be in the Sangha for 20 years or so, um, not much of a scholar, or even maybe they're a scholar, but scholar in the wrong ways, um, and not quite understand the teaching intellectually, uh, but just be, being around very noble, high-class, uh, wise, acting people, um, their behavior begins to reflect that. I met I met someone who's not even a student of the Dhamma um, at my place of work, actually, and she just has the most noble attitude. Like, she's always really happy, smiling, extremely sociable. I work in a hospital, and she treats the patients really, really well, like, just full of boundless, never-ending seeming energy, like, very happy-go-lucky person. And she's she's probably doesn't know anything about spirituality but she, she I feel like has a noble attitude I feel like she seems like pretty enlightened so I, I agree with you on that one part but definitely yes it's not even and limited I'm to sort of, I'm sort of the opposite sense. you know like I've, I've read loads of the books but I still I still can't seem to hack the Duke Naroda as much as as I probably like to you know so sort of go both ways on that yeah, the Buddha really simplifies it down to a simple core, but uh, people in other religions or practicing psychology or whatever it may be, there are different avenues to learning how the mind works, because that's really what we're getting at. And the Buddha really simplifies it down to uh, don't worry, be happy. Those That really simple that when you're stressed, stop being stressed and be happy. Uh, but there are different avenues that people can learn this and they can even be raised like this. Uh and it doesn't have to be something that we follow a spiritual path with spiritual language to do, that someone can understand this intuitively. And like you're talking about, Robert, the people who are raised in a very nurturing, wholesome way uh, have no reason to look for a spiritual path. <laughs> the people who suffer the most often are ones who look for a path uh, to understand why do I feel like this? Because we don't really know the essence is we're just dissatisfied. There isn't really even knowing that I am dissatisfied, uh, but knowing just dissatisfied and looking for not dissatisfaction. And some people get lucky and find uh, an actual cure. I really liked something Damarato said in a recent episode, which was like redefining dukkha as dissatisfaction and not as suffering. Because most people, if you ask them if they suffer, they say, no, I don't suffer. But are you, you know, mildly dissatisfied most of the mm -hmm. time? A lot of people would right. say, oh, actually, if I look closely, I am a little bit dissatisfied a lot of the time. I am a little bit too stressed, you know. Um, you know, I, I, I nitpick things that could be better about the situation rather than appreciating what's already enough, you know, what's already good about it. Mm -hmm. And um, I kind of like that. I thought, I 
can't remember which episode that was from, but I thought that was really, really helpful for me because it's like, yeah, but someone who's like suffers massively in their life, you know, they're like chronically depressed all the time. You know, I feel like that person would be drawn to like very serious um, undertaking spiritually because they they need that huge transformation. That was a big insight in my practice of the just the simple phrasing of dissatisfaction, that it is really that simple, that it's not somewhere we're trying to go. Uh, it's not some huge insight we're trying to have, maybe besides that one, that it is very simple change in attitude right here, right now from being satisfied. And it's sort of a binary thing. It's satisfied or dissatisfied. It's not... Um, uh, it's not being satisfied and more and more and more satisfied. Right. And I need some magical feelings to make me enlightened, per se. No, it's just very simple of being satisfied here in this present moment. Yeah. It's like you're either satisfied or you're not satisfied. It's as simple as that. Yes, <laughs> exactly. It, it's, I love that, Scott. It's one or the other. Um, I, love, I love that you, I love that you, that you bring that one up because... Um, because it's like, I think you, you actually said this to me, um, but I've noticed I do it a lot where like, I'll be like, you know, is this satisfaction to what, you know, satisfaction is obviously, you know, it's nuanced, it's, it's grayscale, you know, it's not black and white, but in some sense, it kind of is like black and white. Like, are you satisfied no, or it not? Is black and, white. and if I'm questioning that, scale. I'm probably not satisfied. Yeah, exactly. It's, you're either satisfied or you're not satisfied. You have to understand that. Um, <laughs> think about it this way. If there's a just a little bit of shit in your sandwich, would you still want to eat that sandwich? Hell no. <laughs> no. <laughs> so if there's a little <laughs> bit of dissatisfaction, you're not satisfied. It's that simple. And like, um, uh, can you be satisfied with that? So, so uh, the the dukkha is either dukkha or it's dukkha nirodha. That's the simplicity of the teaching. And uh, if you're practicing correctly, you're gonna have more dukkha nirodha moments. Now those moments might be really brief, but in, in that moment, there's no dukkha. It's like a qualitative difference that in that moment of relief, of release of meditation or of relaxation, whatever you want to call it, there's not one speck of dukkha. I think really important and then, as and well then, is... And then the, the problem is uh, the when you say I'm mostly satisfied, but just a little bit dissatisfied, or it's a grayscale, what's really happening is it's not a mixture, but it would be being dissatisfied with perforated moments of satisfaction. And you look upon that whole time frame as a whole and you say it's a spectrum of almost being satisfied. But really what's happening is you're going satisfied, dissatisfied, satisfied, dissatisfied, satisfied, dissatisfied within the mind moments. Right. Of right. That time frame. So that's like, it's like it's like percentages isn't it it's like how many it's like more than 50 percent of the mind moments are happy then you're satisfied 
less than 50% means you're dissatisfied, right? So, but the way not to think, that's not the way to think about it. The way to think about it is in this moment, am I satisfied? In this next moment, am I dissatisfied? Okay, change it to satisfaction. That the, the percentages aren't really applicable. That, that's just thinking about the past or dwelling in the past. Um, what would be more practical is what thought got, got me into this status, dissatisfied state. Okay, I'll be on the watch for that one next time. Right, and so okay. this is Vipassana. This is investigation is to deconstruct to the bare essential mind moments. So if you can deconstruct your experience to the rudimentary um, particles or the rudimentary um, um, sections, building blocks, uh, you can see dissatisfaction even more clearly or satisfaction even more clearly. And then same thing with your actual experience. So that's why um, the suttas talk about um, the eye consciousness, um, uh, touch consciousness, born of the touch, um, taste I, um, consciousness, so, born just of to taste, clarify, smell, eye consciousness, consciousness. That's sight, right? That's vision consciousness. Yes, yes. That's so like consciousness, me. okay. Sight. So all the different um sense bases are all separate consciousnesses mm-hmm. so this is this is the the dhamma um it's it's a kind of deconstruction of our experience whereas other traditions will be like oh it's all consciousness it's all one unified field no it's a eye consciousness it's a it's a touch consciousness it's a smell consciousness it's a taste consciousness and it's a mind and mind object consciousness. So cognitive right, consciousness. Ask. And they're separate, was... they're separate, they're separate um, phenomena occurring in our experience. And if one's occurring, so if you're aware of sight in that mind moment, it's just sight consciousness. If you're in your thought in that mind moment, it's just thought consciousness. And so you can deconstruct your experience this way. Um, what are you going to say, Robert? Yeah, I was going to ask. Um, is it like a separate consciousness for all the different sense doors? Or is it like it's all one consciousness with the sense doors? Is like we've invented the sense doors. And no, we're it's, yeah, so thinking, yeah, it's all thinking it's all one consciousness is the same as fabricating a self out of um, the raw data of your experience. That's a delusion. So that's a a wrong view. There's no self out of all the components. There's just components. Mm-hmm. And um, if you do fabricate a self, so you fabricate the idea that it's all one consciousness perceiving all of these different consciousnesses, that would be a mind object. So that would be that would fall into the category of cognizing. Um, so you you just become aware you you uh, wake up and see that it's a mind object. Um, mind object is emotions as well, uh, right? Or is that really... emotions? The Buddha doesn't really use the word um, emotions, but what is talked about is vedana, is feelings. Um, right. And ah. this is this ah. is how we're 
when we're talking about living a wise, living in the present moment, um, this is the essence of the practice, um, is Scott's talking about the consciousness. Um, this would be the bare bones, very raw data, that if you're just perceiving consciousness, you aren't really going to be acting in the world at all because it's just data. It's just the scene. It's just the cognized. Um, it's it's uh, just the tasted, all of that. Right. In the that's, cognized, we can't only really... the cognized. In the exactly. taste, only the taste. And um, um, what you're asking about emotions, emotions really are just sensations in the body. So that could even be, uh, you could see it similar to like touch or like uh, tension in your, in, your, in, your, in your muscles. An emotion is just a tension somewhere in the body. You're not gonna have an emotion in the room. Emotions are never in the room. They're never outside of your body. They're always mm -hmm. somewhere in your body. So it's a tension in your body. And you can take a, a, an intentional, intentional effort to relax the tension. But, right, right. But the tension in the body, it's not inherent to the feelings of tension, the emotion, right? We can have the same feeling of tension, but not ha experience it with the emotion. But just no, no, as no. the tension. You're not going to, you're not going to experience an emotion without the tension. I see. But there is a thought no, I mean or some sort of thing that gives rise to that tension, the bodily tension, that um, the Buddha doesn't talk about emotions. That would be more of a Western thing. Um, but it would, it, mapping it on a Paticca Samuppada, probably most accurate would be um, after there is wanting, clinging, bhava, and jati, and maybe the, the four woeful states would be ways of talking about emotion of uh go ahead scott right so um the tension arises due to the co the the causes and conditions so the circumstances and prerequisites for the tension to arise and that falls down the line of tijasamapada so without so without the cognizing without the processing of sensory input so there's two types of consciousnesses. There's there's the 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 consciousness that receives the raw data, and then there's the consciousness that processes it. So there's the data itself and the processing um, of the data, which that's where uh, liking disliking comes in. That's where craving and that's where sense of self emerges from the processing of the data, not the data itself. So the tension happens already down the road of the processing of the data. Before the processing of the data, there is no tension. The even, even the, and uh, the tension can come from uh, thoughts or it can come from, um, it can come from discursive thought or it can come from different types of thought. So like habitual leanings. So you lean towards this way of feeling, which is mm. still a thought, but it's not an actual like language thought. So like you might think, oh, I'm not thinking anything um, to make me tense right now, but you're leaning towards something. It's an attitude. So that's still cognizing. Um, 
Um, so once you see that the tension arises due to causes and conditionings, you can deconstruct the the causes and conditions themselves or the process of causes and conditions. And that's actually how you enter jhana and that's how you change the feeling and that's how you relax the tensions is because right, you see right. you, you see the mechanism in which they are created um so that is what actual uh investigation means it doesn't mean uh just look at the tension once it's already created and just keep looking at it and see what is this tension? What is this tension? What is this tension? It's going to keep happening. You have to disassemble or go follow the assembly line back to its origins um, in your experience. And this, this is a quick, this is a skill to be developed. This is a, this is a, um, a meditative capacity. So a reaction time and a remembering to do it. Um, so it's like, it's not a coping mechanism. It's like, think of more about it as like um, training for the Olympics or something. <laughs> it's not a coping mechanism, but like the teachings of the Buddha and like the noble path and the noble Dhamma is not something you tell yourself to make you feel better about things. That's religion. So that's the mundane Dhamma of like, oh, uh, co or compassion, Metta, or believe in the Buddha, or believe in, like, do these things and uh, good karma, good, good karma will happen. Um, or you, you have a better rebirth or whatever. That's all mundane. But super mundane Dhamma, or the noble Dhamma, is seeing the, pro the process of Paticca Samapada in your visceral experience and doing so which, with such a precision, which is a skill that you develop over time. So everyone starts somewhere, right? You have to start at the beginning and like just, just keep on uh, repping it out until you get better at this stuff, okay? It's not like try it once and then doesn't work and then say it doesn't work. No, you have to look look, remember to look and stop and look and stop and look and stop and look like you're training for the Olympics. And eventually the Olympic gold medal was the feeling you enter jhana and the feelings are going to stop and you, you stop, uh, the feelings stop because uh, the perceptions become less and less. And then eventually the perceptions will stop altogether and you'll enter into cessation. And uh, that's the Olympic gold medal. <laughs> and, uh, and then after, so this is like, this is all possible because um, whether you talk about it the way I'm talking about it, you talk about it with uh, thinking wholesome thoughts and changing how we feel, that's the same thing. If you're thinking wholesome thoughts and, think, and throwing out unwholesome thoughts, what you're doing is you're you're stopping the process of Paticca Samapada to create the liking, craving, wanting, and dukkha. So you're, you're changing it at that point of the assembly line. So that's the same, it requires the same skill that I'm talking about. Um, and then you're gonna be, uh, then it becomes a question, how, how long, like how, 
how much time can you spend in jhana? How much time can you spend like this? Okay, go ahead, Robert. Um, what's Vatitya Samapada again? Dependent origination. Okay, so, I thought that was what you're talking about. Um, so I, my question so, is, uh, if you go all the way back through the dependent origination, because I got how we have our mental attitude then creates the tension in the body, that's the emotion, but the attitude came first to decide the, if it was going to be positive or negative Vedana, and that then just turns into the emotion. So, so if, if we if go all change... the way back behind the attitude, is 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 the is this the like the first step just like emptiness, just like nothing, like all no. like it's all cessation. So you yeah. So if you can do that, great. But you're not going to be able to do that. So first, you have to change your attitude, and changing your attitude is changing is going back on the Patija Samapada assembly line. So it's changing how you process information. So changing your attitude uh, to a champion, to a winner, uh, the correct attitude, that changes how you feel. So already you went back on the assembly line, changed the attitude, and then started feeling good. So that already is insight into dependent origination. And this is done ah. at the point of contact, at the point of feeling. Um, that we were talking about earlier, Scott was talking about consciousness. This would be vinyana. This would be the the um, near the beginning of like what we're actually experiencing. And then what you're talking about, Robert, um, is the feelings, the vedana. That would be in the middle. And then going beyond that would be emotions. So what we're doing is being wise to the vedana. We're not gonna be able to live our lives all the way in. Uh, the the fourth jhana or whatever it may be that the, the Tom Rado has the joke um, that that would be if you were driving like that that would be um, driving under the influence of jhana that that wouldn't be safe <laughs> yeah so even all these things are impermanent so you but being able to live at the yeah. point of contact have wisdom at the point of contact and then we can see the unwholesome thoughts the unwholesome uh, patterns as they arise the disliking the liking and not be able and prevent them from becoming emotional, you could say. That's seeing right, the feelings, so, being wise to the feelings, and not letting the tanha develop, the wanting. And what's, just to clarify, what's meant by wisdom at the point of contact is when something happens, you know that it's that thing. Mm -hmm. You know that it happened, so like, you see that it happened, and um, we can just be that, or we can let feelings arise and be wise to those feelings and not act because of them. That that would be a mind that is fit for work, as Buddha Dasa puts it. Um, mm. uh, um, the the work of what? The work of throwing out the unwholesome thoughts and also investigating how the mind works of uh, dependent ori origination, um, as Scott talks about. That's the problem of life. The problem of life is that our mind has been working this whole time and it's been working ignorantly in a way that creates suffering for us. So dissatisfaction so let's investigate how this dissatisfaction is created so we don't have to create it anymore and this would be done um simply by being wise at the point of contact and wise at the point of feelings and cutting it off there and not wanting things from there because that is enlightenment whatever it is that is if you can live at the point of contact that's perfect satisfaction that's 
Um, that's the only work that needs to be done, continuing to live at the point of contact and preventing unwholesome uh, actions, which would be the dukkha. The dukkha arises when there is tanha, the wanting. So there's the contact, the fossa. Uh, this is when the saliatana and the perceptions, this is the second time, kind of consciousness that Scott was talking about, the consciousness that is already processed. This This contacts us. So, Robert, you were talking about something coming in. Yes, that's the contact. And then there's the yes, feelings, the yes. response. If we can be wise to this, um, we don't have to let the rest, the the wanting or wanting to change things or the dissatisfaction happen, that we can just live at this point of contact, the wisdom right. at the point of contact. And um, if we have feelings, um, we can be wise to those feelings so they don't develop into dissatisfaction. So, um, so right. Before you ask a question, let me um, add something real quick. So to simplify that um, excellent um, teaching of uh, dependent origination, dukkha comes from not what happens. Dukkha comes from our interpretation, our perception of what happens. So, or the reaction to that perception in the way I was using it. The perception right. happens and that, would, and that contacts us and then we have unwholesome reactions after that. Yeah, so it's every moment. So even if we already processed it, your interpretation of even the processing and even the dukkha is what creates more dukkha. So our dukkha comes from our interpretation or perception of what happens in our um, conscious experience and our uh, our perception of what happens not what actually happens so if you can catch things at the point of wisdom at the point of contact if you can catch things the moment they arise as they arise there's no dukkha there there's no feelings and that's where that's where a noble one lives. That's that's most of the time. Like obviously it's impermanent. Like you're gonna come in, in and out of these kinds of things like fourth jhana. But fourth jhana is just sitting in the point of contact. Like I just sit that's here. That, and that's think, what I was gonna ask. If, if you're sitting at the point of contact, that means that every piece of data that's coming into the mind, you are seeing it and you are at the speed that it's coming in, you're putting it into either the Duca Neuroda no, no, bucket no, no, or no. like the- No, 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 there's just data. Not at the, point of con at the point of contact, there would be some processing that if, if you hear something and someone knocks on your door, there is the processing of someone knocking on the door, but there isn't, if there is disliking, or why is that disliking or fear? And it doesn't become Tanha, it doesn't become wanting it to be different or fear of their knocking on your door it is just the knowledge that someone knocked on my door okay or the door or whatever but whatever verbal processing i see uh, Oops, i got it okay that's so, what scott's talking about is the vinyana the first type of consciousness and then there's the saliatana that contacts us this would be the second type of consciousness this is where when we're living at the wisdom, at the point of contact, this is where we're living. Um, so what, and then beyond that would be like, dukkha, the, the wanting things we don't have. Right, okay. So if you're at the point of contact, that means it's automatically 
it's automatically going to feel good, basically, because you're not processing it to make it feel bad. Because the processing well, there can be feelings of aversion that arise, but we have to be wise to those feelings of aversion and see them as that, and realize that those are unwise, and we uh, don't need to uh, act on them, or even have a push pull either way in response to them. That they are just feelings. So I um, see. That's but to answer your question earlier i don't know if you asked this but the enlightened state is at the point of there's just data no it's at the point of contact the wisdom at the point of contact when there is some processing uh, right no but so but they are both enlightened so be be able to if you sit or when there's just data and obviously you're not going to be like that all the time, but I'm saying to be able to spend time in just data with zero processing at all. Okay. So that's like the fourth jhana then. That's, that's, that would be like our hot shit. Okay. Um, but cool. um, the fourth jhana. But you can glimpse it before you become an arhant. It, we yeah, don't even yeah. need to be talking about the higher jhanas uh, for this conversation. That the the um, it it doesn't even need to be the higher jhanas. That enlightenment, um, if we want to use that word, or complete satisfaction, um, can be just at the point of contact. We don't need to go further back in Paticca Samapada um, and just let the scene be. That insights can arise because of that seeing that the scene is just the scene. Uh, but uh, there's no problem with the processing in the middle. It might be unwholesome. There might be unwholesome sankaras influencing that processing, right? That if the thought of the door is, um, I'm being attacked, <laughs> that is uh, an unwholesome thought, and there might be some oomph to that point of contact that we need to be wise to. Uh, but we can continue to live at this point of contact and be completely satisfied there, that it doesn't need to go further back, although it is relaxing um, and nice too. Good to see you, Veda. Good to see you. Hey, man, thank you. Good, man. We, we can continue to live at this point of contact and have things processed um, and not become dissatisfied because of what is contacting us, because that is really what the essence of the teachings are, is that there's perceptions there is consciousness that we're getting and we've been responding to that consciousness in an ignorant unwholesome way that is not wise to how the mind actually works that is not wise to the four noble truths so we are getting the perception here at the point of contact now we can live in a wise way just seeing what is contacted and not having the ignorant response that creates dukkha not having the uh, dissatisfaction mm. with this present moment, not having the I don't like, I don't want that person to come in the door because that is unwise, that is um, dukkha, that is ignorant. Then we can just live Why here satisfied that? in this present moment. Mm. Okay. I think I kind of get what you're pointing to, I guess. <laughs> it's a bit confusing, but um, I don't know. I don't know if I should expect it not to be confusing i guess so yeah well that's why we talk about it in like simpler ways mm -hmm. for it not to be confusing 
um, <laughs> because ultimately everything we say about it is already an interpretation. So in order to communicate it with language, we have to inter I have to interpret or Parker has to interpret his experience of it or his insight, his visceral direct experience of it into an idea that he can communicate. So we're just giving our best shot at communicating it, but already, so we're trying to communicate how to be before processing by processing being before processing and <laughs> saying it. So you see where the kind of problem is, right? But, but, but um, we're telling you that it is possible and it is possible to develop the skill, but it's not, so we processed it and we're communicating it. So, you, but you can't take it as process data alone. You have to understand that it's an experience of it. It's not an idea of it. It's not, it's not the notion of it. Um, so the skill is coming at waking up out of processing. Um, and, uh, that's sort of an intangible, you just have to experiment on your own and, and learn how to do it. And this, the thing is, uh, coming into a more wholesome state and changing our thoughts to be more wholesome and, uh, being more satisfied, less craving and aversion, that is the tools or that's the, the prerequisite skills to develop this skill of waking up out of the processing. So this is kind of something that you do once you're already don't have a craving or aversion. Does that make sense? Like um, if I'm um, in the hindrances, I'm not going to be able to, uh, see data as the moment arises, right? I'm not going to be able to experience the cognize, the sight, sound as just the cognize or the objects of the mind or the perceptions appearing right where they are, aware of themselves with no perceiver or no arrow of attention. So everything just appears where it is with no self constructed or no liking or disliking constructed. Everything just happens. That's already um, past the point of any craving and aversion. So um, you develop the capacity. That's why the introductory teaching is, um, again, that's why we do Anapanasati. That's why we change the wholesome and change thoughts how, how like for example you have a thought and you can ask yourself how can i change this thought to be even more wholesome so this thought i'm having can be the i can play around with the words and the words can be even more wholesome and that in turn changes how you feel so once you're in a wholesome state in a satisfied state then you can see things like the 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 precise mind moment of each layer of paticca samapada and the whole mechanism can fall apart and that's where 
um, a more even more profound relief. So you're already satisfied, but even more profound relief that is going to make deeper change, like more a bigger personality change. So like there's people who can go into jhana, they come out of jhana and then it's just the same, or they go on a retreat. But this was the Buddha out. before he uh, had his enlightenment per se, or understood the teaching that it was, he had these jhana skills already developed, that uh, he could practice the four jhanas and the four uh, arupa jhanas, um, but that is not enough in itself, that those are There's just states of satisfaction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. we need to understand that there are hindrances in the mind, and when we're out and about walking around and we're not in these uh, states, that we can still be completely satisfied and in a wholesome state. And that is the skill to be developed, not these. That's what the Buddha figured out. It's not these jhanas. They're not an end in themselves. What the end is, is being wise, the point of contact. And when hindrances arise, when dukkha arises, throwing that out. And that is the uh, that is the practice. So what we're talking about um, is sort of, uh, Damrado talks about uh, a violin analogy when we're talking about the four jhanas, that the first jhana, one has to um, build the whole violin, the whole body of the instrument, and string one string, getting at the point that it is most the work, developing the first jhana. And then for the four jhanas, we just add another string, add another string, add another string, because we've already developed the, the four or five jhana factors, whichever you want to use, uh, we've already developed that. We've developed a landing pad, and that's what is needed. That is that is the skill to be developed, is developing that landing pad of satisfaction, of wholesome thoughts. And then everything else is just if you have extra time doing nothing, you can get in a really wholesome, satisfied state. But the key is uh, these wholesome thoughts these wholesome ways of perceiving the world, changing the mental map from one that is unwholesome, that is ignorant of how the mind actually works, to one that is wholesome, that is based on reality and how the mind works in Dukkha Dukkha Naroda. So this is when we're talking about gliding the mind. We're seeing the hindrances as they arise and throwing them out and thinking a nice wholesome thought instead. Go ahead, Robert. Yeah, it's kind of, and I apologize that it's confusing me and that sort of thing. Um, yeah, so it's one of the things that always confuses me is like, is it that if we're at the, the point of contact, is it that all the data that's coming in will be wholesome by default? Or is it that it's whatever it is, whether it's wholesome or unwholesome, but we're like, as an ego, we're like a secondary reaction to something that's unwholesome. And then that makes it like really unwholesome. Do you know what I'm trying to mean? Like, I don't know if I can. Explain. You mind if I jump in? Okay. Or you want to? Okay. The wholesome is being in the here now or being in the experience of the data. The unwholesome is the processing capacity to like or dislike and project into the past and future and construct the self. That's the unwholesome. There's, the feelings there's, aren't inherently unwholesome, but if we're not wise to them, they can become. So, Robert, getting at your question, the 
the Saliatana, this would be the result of the processing. That is not necessarily unwholesome if we can see it at that. But there can be unwholesomeness in it. There can be... Um, yes, there can be uh, ignorance in it, in the Sankara, uh, in the memories that contact us, right? If the door and we think someone's breaking in, we can just let it be that breaking in or we can have a feeling of not liking and fear because of that and pushing back, right? Um, so different contacts, depending on our history, will be, um, you could say, contacting us uh, with more of an oomph. Um, but that oomph is not necessarily uh, the unwholesome in the sense of um, pushing one way or another the dukkha that arises. Does that make sense? It would be easier if we could see your face to see if you're following or not. Yeah, Robert. You got to turn your camera on, man. It's a Sangha call. I know. I was just showing. Um, I mean, it kind of makes sense. I don't really know if it answered the question or if it did answer it or it didn't. I, like, I can't tell if it answered the question and I'm just too stupid to see that it answered the question or if it didn't answer the question. Um, what, what, let's look at the word itself, wholesome. Um, but so is it, so is it like, I don't, I don't know. I don't even know what I'm asking at this point. Um, so the then we can just let it go if, if, the if data. Data. <laughs> yeah. what, I think I've kind of lost my train no, of thought. No, th this is a good question. It's a good question, Robert. The data of your experience as it happens. So unwholesome comes from I like this. I don't like this. Because when you like something, you're going to crave for it. And it's going to create a clinging and then a sense of lack. Or if you don't like something, it's going to be an aversion and a sense of restlessness and a sense of anxiety. So it's the first thing that happens in the chain of dependent origination of liking or disliking. That's the first thing. And if you dislike, you fucked up. No, if you like or dislike, you already fucked up. <laughs> you got to stop it at liking or disliking something. You don't have to, That's but you, you can be wise satisfied. to them. When you're satisfied. And seeing them. When you're satisfied, you're just satisfied. You're not liking something or disliking something. Okay, okay. So it's that, it's the defilements, right? It's the craving and aversion. That's like, yeah, this like, but satisfaction is you're not engaging with the entire mechanism. So if you're, mm -hmm. so when you're wise contact, that means the sense stuff is coming in, but you're not even touching it. Like you're not, you're not yeah. deciding, you're not doing anything with it. Yeah. Like do nothing. That actually, that this is starting to make sense. All right. I, I feel like I'm comprehending what you guys have been talking about for the last hour now. <laughs> and of, of course, okay, to um, what Parker's talking about is that there's different, so once craving and aversion already happens, um, it already happens, 
so now are you going to crave or revert to that so it can be even unwholesome process or like liking or disliking once it happens how are you going to interpret and react to that so that's very wise of parker to mention that so it's not like oh cra craving aversion happening like and dislike happening oh i'm fucked like and then that's just going to create more of the same so even once it already happens the process the paticca samapada happens every moment and starts over every moment so every moment there's a chance to jump in and stop and stop and look at what you're doing that's what it means to stop and look at what you're doing is actually to catch the me mechanism and the mechanism is repeating over and over again. That's the habit, habitual tendency, the pava. Um, so to, to just to clarify, like me and Parker aren't disagreeing with each other. I'm just talking about um, stopping, to stop and look. That's essentially what I'm saying. It's to not like or dislike, it's to stop and look. And that is satisfaction. No problem there. So the problem is always the fabrication. Just right. The problem is process. like it, dislike it, that whole yeah. entire process. Just looking at it, just seeing it as it is, as it comes in, um, mm -hmm. without any additional action on your part. That's the satisfaction. And that makes sense because when we're satisfied, we don't need to do things, right? We don't feel the need to do things. We're just letting things be as they are. And and so to, to take this to take this even further robert when we change our attitude when we change our uh thoughts when we change to more wholesome in order to do that what do we have to do first we had to be actually dissatisfied with what's here by saying no oh, no no this no. Is clearly no, wrong. We no 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 we had to stop and look at what we're doing first in order to change our attitude in order to change to yes. wholesome so right. you have to recognize be, that's that's, that's sati yeah yeah you have to recognize and the wisdom so, is the ability to discern if it's wholesome or unwholesome yeah that's wisdom right. is to discern yeah knowledge and vision of what is and isn't the path that is wisdom is this the dhamma or is this not the dhamma and then uh, remembering to do that, you the skill of stopping and looking at whatever stage it is, it simply just becomes more advanced and more advanced the more you do it until you get, get really into the, the, the immediate processes. And so there's mm -hmm. like a bigger, there's a bigger scale of Paticca Samapada and with, within it, there's smaller paticca samapada and like until you get to the bare uh details like and then like yeah it's the you practice at the bigger scale and then the more advanced the more skillful you become the quicker and the the more zoomed in per se the right, more yeah, yeah. and that's mind. where um that's where it really um the practice really um, takes off and like, but like you start, you start where you're at and you get, you get better and remembering to do it.
and you get better. So like, you're not going to become a good tennis player if you don't remember to go to tennis practice. It's as simple as that. You're not going to become a good Dhamma practitioner if you don't remember to practice the Dhamma. So developing the skill to remember to even practice the Dhamma is, and then stopping and looking and changing your attitude and changing the feeling. This is making sense. This makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah, because I get how like you're getting like finer and finer grain. That's how it's you're getting faster and faster. Because obviously like mm -hmm. there's tons of data coming and I'm absolutely mm -hmm. ignoring my thoughts. And I can I noticed I was cycling to work today and I was noticing like I was thinking a mind run was a tenth of a second. Fucking hell, that's quick. Like and I was just trying to like I was trying to be precise but also relaxed enough at the same time that I could actually try and see if I could notice like a tenth of a second frame reality and I couldn't tell if I was succeeding or failing I see it all seemed super smooth I didn't see any like things as frames at all but but it just goes to show how fast it is I suppose and how, how like ignorant I am or like the average person is um it's fast it's actually so, pretty fast like a second, so so second. think about it this way if you're if you're like and you're stressed out are you going to be able to um like let's say you're playing Super Smash Bros against like some guy who's really good at Super Smash Bros. If you're like tensed up and like oh oh crap oh crap oh crap, you're not gonna be fast. So you have to be relaxed and even keeled in order to have that reaction time and precision, just like in a sport or in anything else. If you're if you're stressing out and playing in your violin in a concert, you're not gonna be quick and precise. You know, exactly, so you have exactly. to be that's why that's why we're relaxing the tensions. That's why we're taking deep breaths. And that's why we're relaxing and coming into the wholesome and taking deep energizing relax uh uh relaxing breaths and relaxing the body. Ah, it feels good. Having some PT and suka and developing the skill of PT and suka. And then you're gonna be precise and quick quick with the the mind the tenth of a second mind moment. Um you can do that if you're stressed out. That's what that's one of the things that that always like I find is so like weird. It's like in order to be precise I have to relax, which you think would be the opposite. You think to be relaxed you become less precise. And actually in order to get really precise I actually have to be relaxed. Yes. You have to be in a really yes. like chilled out like letting things like kind of happen on their own, like have mm. like automatic stuff able to do it and it's confusing as hell to do that because it's like am i letting go or am i becoming more more like careful like it's such a confusing thing for me it is confusing because sort of, because balance. um it can't it again we're saying like this is a visceral skill like when we interpret it we're trying to use some analogies some metaphors our best way of talking about it um, but it's not going to be understood at the intellectual level. Um, we can only point at it. We can only um, crack jokes, stuff like that. <laughs> I'm just going to pop out. Have a good one. Bye. All right. Yeah, I think that was good. It's been great. Good to see you guys. Parker.
Yes, good to see you, yeah, Scott. Good, good to see you, you Robert. Robert. As always. Thank you for answering all my right. silly, silly questions. Yeah, they're such good friends. Long. No, oh, dude, they're, they're great. It's great to have questions and create dialogue. I've learned a lot. I really appreciate it. Dependent origination is confusing, but honestly, yeah. like, yeah. yeah. Appreciate right. it, boys. Bye, Bye. friends. Until next time.